Hey everybody, this is Val with NASCAR Radio and as well as the amazing Jason. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well today, Val. How are you? Doing great. I'm super excited on our hotline. We have uh, our guest here today, Colin from Sports Card Radio. Colin, how are you today? I'm good, Jason. Val, thanks so much for having me on. It's great to, great to be here on, on the show. Happy one-year yeah. anniversary with the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, no I'm super excited to have you on. You know, I, we've been, I guess, chatting back and forth for years and you had me on your show and uh, I kept on pushing, trying to get you to talk about NASCAR trading cards and you wouldn't do it. So uh, <laughs> I had, I had to take matters into my own hand and learn how to do the website and had to learn how to do podcasts and doing images and put them up on the website and doing all that stuff. So um, because you wouldn't do it, uh, I'm here today. So I appreciate it. Well, I'm, I'm glad my laziness has, has led to your podcast and your success. That is, is absolutely my pleasure. But, you know, um, you know, you've been doing the show for a long time. How long have you, you been uh, this is our twelfth, basically in our twelfth year. I started it uh, in the summer of two thousand and eight. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a long time. And I was trying to figure out how I found out about you guys because it was kind of early on, and I think it was from the PSA message board. So back in '05, and that I started to get um, back into the hobby, and I was collecting graded cards. And it was PSA, and I was a message board. And I think that's how I found you because I, I was probably early on, so there was probably not. Uh, I don't know if you were doing Facebook ads or whatever, but it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah, I can't say that I've done a lot of anything other than really put the show up. In the early days, I definitely was like pushing more for people to listen and posting links to the show and things like that. These days, I just kind of record them and put them up. And, you know, if people find them, they find them. If not, you know, maybe they find them at another time. I know there's, you know, you've got your podcast, there's the Hobby Hotline. There's lots of podcasts out there these days. And so it's, I think it's great that, you know, when I started, I think I was one of the only ones or the only one. And now there's probably a dozen or so at least uh, out there. And so it's great for the hobby. It's great for people, especially people that are enthusiastic about the hobby, new people, new collectors or even the old-time collectors and dealers and things like that to have that much information out there. So I've just, you know, for me, just being a small part of all that is kind of nice. Yeah, you definitely had, you know, instrumental in helping a lot of folks that are, you know, doing the podcast and other forms of information, all right, because information is kind of the key. I don't think you can, you're not going to spend your hard-earned money if um, you're not good about the transaction, so and, and you know, information was is is kind of the key to that. Oh, for sure, yeah. And the more you can get, the better. And I think there's just like there's so many cards and so many sets and so, different parallels and different layers of the hobby that there's not going to be one definitive source uh, as maybe in some other hobbies that you know that aren't quite as intricate as trading cards. So it's nice to have you know, different experts weigh in, you know, and I know you guys weigh in uh, on NASCAR cards and racing cards. And, you know, that has, you know, that 
you almost need to be an expert to kind of weigh in. You can't just be a card guy and start weighing in on NASCAR because the sport itself is so much different than basketball, football, baseball, and all the other ones. So it's nice that there's a diversity out there and everybody kind of has, can kind of pick a lane and, and find something that's kind of suits their fancy, I guess. Definitely. Definitely. You know, I noticed that, um, you know, over time, you know, things have changed. Um, and I was talking to Jason before that, you know, your website used to have like a forum and stuff and all kinds of stuff. And then you had some really interesting guests and, and always had, kind of the pull back the curtain of the hobby. Uh, and the only thing that comes to mind, one thing that comes to mind is I remember you were, I guess, talking to somebody at either Upper Deck or something uh, about them having a, um, a cutting machine or whatever to cut cards there. I don't know if you remember that. And then also, um, I guess it was, I don't know if it was doing the recession there about uh, making your own baseball cards where people were sharing. There was a, there was a gentleman that had um, images of, guess the players from spring training or whatever, but it was basically people were making their own baseball cards using those photos and using like a stock um, power, not PowerPoint, PowerShell, not PowerShell. That's my uh, IT background. Photoshop. What is the drawing? Yeah, thank you, Photoshop. So I'm, you've seen a lot here being in the media, not media, being in the media, social media and everything. You've seen a lot here these last 12 years. Oh, man, yeah. And, I mean, it goes back, you know, further. You know, I've been involved in the hobby since as a collector kind of since 89. And then I started working at card shops in, uh, you know, in I think middle school and high school and a little bit of college I was working at a card shop. And then I think I got my first wholesale license to sell cards when I was 21, 22. So that would have been right around year 2000. So I've been, you know, it's changed so much from the licenses and the different companies kind of rotating in and out. Um, I think Tops Tops and Upper Deck are two of the only companies that really haven't haven't actually like gone bankrupt and uh, maybe changed hands a little bit. So it's been... You know, and I can imagine the next 10, 15, 20 years is going to see, we're going to see even more change and more, you know, everything's going to keep changing and evolving, not just from the company side, but from, you know, like, like you said, the website has evolved over the years. And, you know, I think that that's the secret to success, I think, is you've got to constantly evolve, constantly change, uh, not necessarily your core kind of what you do at your core, but um, you always got to be willing to adapt and, and change, uh, not necessarily year to year, but uh, every few years there's new trends in the, whether it's sports cards or sharing or platforms you can be on to reach different collectors and stuff like that. So you always got to be willing to, to, you know, kind of meet the needs of, of, of kind of a new generation or a new age, uh, whatever's going on. So yeah, always been, always been, uh, pushing forward, but, um, you know, having fun at the same time. Uh, we've always done it and had fun. I wouldn't still be doing it if it wasn't, if I wasn't having fun. You know what I mean? No, definitely. And, and I know that we're, we see, um, or I think that we are a lot alike, you know, um, you don't really do it, uh, do it being uh, selling cards or whatever as a business to try to make, you know, real money. You don't see, you know, Mark Cuban and those uh, uh, 
Alex Rodriguez or whoever, Derek Jeter, you know, they're not, um, you know, they've moved on from the sports and they're, they're doing either as an owner or, um, you know, higher level to make more money than what you can in, in the card industry. So it's more of as a hobby and, you know, if you're going to make, you know, money or put it in the market, I, I know you talk about the stocks and other stuff and how it relates a little bit to cards, but it doesn't. I, but um, I think people maybe get confused. And I, I like how you kind of, you know, not necessarily pushing all of the investments of it. I don't know if you saw that, that Mike Trout sold for $90,000. That's crazy. And, and that was, I think it was last week or whatever it was. And I was thinking, man, how much uh, Amazon stock could I buy with that? So, Yeah. Hey, I mean, if I had 90K to burn, uh, you know, maybe maybe I would buy a baseball card. But I, I you know, personally, I don't I, I don't have that kind of money. I don't foresee myself having that kind of disposable income. Um, I, you know, I'm certainly not going to tell people what what to buy with their money if they want to spend ninety thousand on a baseball card. There's certainly worse things you probably could could spend it on. But um, you know, like you said, it's for me. It's like it, it's always been kind of a side income, even when I was like, when I was in college and stuff like that, it, it kind of paid, you know, it was like beer money basically for, for me then. It certainly didn't pay for my college tuition or anything like that. And even today I'm selling, uh, you know, mainly sports card supplies and, uh, and I sell board games and things like that through a distributor. And, you know, it's, it's a nice little side income, but, you know, am I going to get rich like Mark Cuban or, or, or those kind of guys? No, probably not. Um, but it, it, you do learn a lot. Like you said, you kind of – sports cards is like a, a bridge to, you know, you can learn a lot from, from buying and selling trading cards. And, you know, if you take that knowledge and apply it to, to something else, you know, you, yes, you can make quite a bit of money. I mean, sportscardradio.com was my main source of income for many years. And so while I wasn't buying and selling trading cards on it and I wasn't selling anything on it, it was, I mean, it literally supported me and my family for, for a, a very long period of time. And the lessons I learned there apply to other things that, that I've been doing. So it's, you know, I, that, that's why I always encourage people just to always, you know, always keep, keep learning, keep, keep collecting, keep, you know, keep your, keep, stay in the hobby in, in some way. You know, everybody's financial situation kind of goes up and down, and certainly right now, your financial situation can kind of go up and down, and, and you can, your interest can kind of wane depending on what's happening in the sporting world. But, um, you know, staying in the hobby does have some, huge benefits, especially if you start to apply that to other things like maybe the stock market or another business or something like that. Yeah, definitely. It is kind of funny how you always compare it to the stock market, and then we see events like The Last Dance and then Jordan cards just shoot through the roof, and I think people don't want to say that it's stocks, but it very much is. I think that parallel is always going to be there whether people want to admit it or not. Oh yeah, I mean that's a great point, Jason. You know, you know what it is 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 it's like event driven. And yep. if you could, and I wish I would have seen this. You know, when they announced the Last Dance documentary, and it was probably this time last year or something, they might have announced it. 
you know, that was the time to start, buy, you know, acquiring and building up a collection in Jordan to be able to foresee that. Now, I don't think a lot of people probably did that, but that's obviously something, um, you know, you can foresee. And, and then obviously, like Zion was, Zion Williamson was a rookie or was, it, was in college last year. You know, there was definitely people kind of foreseeing, hey, this guy's going to be big. I don't know, necessarily know how you could have capitalized on that, but the Jordan example is, it is a really good one. When guys get uh, elected to a Hall of Fame, and then maybe yep. I think Jeter might be going in this year. So I've certainly been kind of like buying Jeters and kind of holding, not, not like really expensive ones, but, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, okay, he's going to go into the Hall of Fame. I know that's been kind of delayed with, with the events we've got going on now. But, you know, those, like foreseen events that are going to change uh, the market in the future – is exactly like the stock market. You can see, you know, this company, XYZ, is going to be, you know, dominating the market 12 months from now. Um, and being able to foresee that is certainly uh, a talent and takes some, you know, a little bit of luck, but definitely your timing is, is, pro, is almost identical to the stock market. You know, being able to time that transaction and have your prediction come to fruition in the right period of time and then be able to capitalize on that, like, you know, like, like people that might have Jordan or Scotty Pippen cards. I think next week is, is Dennis Rodman. Um, all those cards are going to be uh, wildly appreciating, especially because there's no other, there's literally nothing else going on in the sporting world except for reliving the, the mid nineties bulls uh, basketball team. So it's a really, really unique event. And um, certainly there are tons of parallels to the stock market. I don't think I, I would it's – it's not like I'm some Warren Buffett or anything like that, but the discipline that I've learned in trading cards applies directly to the, the stock market and, and doing that for, for as long as I have been. Yeah, Jason, I think, um, you know, you kind of and, – and Colin, you know, have it right where, you know, I've noticed over all the years – um, when a rookie breaks out, when somebody does something like a Cy Young or Rookie of the Year or um, home run record, then when they retire, there's another bump. Uh, when they get in the Hall of Fame, there's another bump. And unfortunately, when they pass away, there's another bump, and it kind of levels until there's some kind of other event. So, But when you were talking about the Bulls, I've seen it. Um, I guess I saw it in a the movie theater. They were talking about it. And I, it looked awesome, and I was like, made me think of the late '90s with with Jordan, and then, um, but I wasn't really sure about it. But if it's all about the different bulls, you know, I'm wondering um, the Jordans because I did actually buy some stuff uh, over the weekend for Jordan, which uh, one of them was already flipped, and I made about fifty wow. percent off off my money. It was nothing. It was nothing major. I bought a '94 um, Fleer Flare. Uh, it was a nice looking card. I guess it was like ten bucks, eleven bucks, and sold it for eighteen. So, um, you know, it was two two days, and it was in and out. Um, but you know, and I looked Rodman's high. I don't know about Pippen yet, but maybe you you know they're the this will pull the other guys up. Maybe Phil Jackson might be somebody to look at, and and Steve is it Steve Kerr? Um, yeah. You know, you, you know what I was guys. thinking too is it it might pull up everybody. Because, you know, as, as the Jordans go up, 
you know, you know, does that pull up Charles Barkley and Carl Malone and John Stockton and all these other guys that played in that era as well? That's the one thing uh, I don't – I mean, I don't think it's going to be a 50% kind of move, but it could be that the Jordans and the Pippins and the Rodmans and the other guys on the team, it pulls up every – it pulls up the entire era of trading cards, which is probably – slightly underappreciated uh, in the hobby and, you know, especially compared to baseball cards and, and nah, maybe not football cards, but that whole era of cards could see, could potentially see a bump because you see such grow. And I think that's happened. You see it in the current day. You see someone like Zion, his cards are worth X amount. So John Morant has to be worth something. Luca has to be worth, this amount uh trey young has to be worth you know uh, in a comparison uh, in, in in relation to what those guys are selling for and so it could be like a rising tide kind of lifts all the boats and certainly that's certainly that's what i hope for since i didn't have i didn't have a stack of jordan sitting around but i do have you know I, I have a lot of these other guys as well so we'll see and i know that it was i think it was two parts last night and i think there's 10 parts and I don't think there's going to be yep. any sporting events anytime soon. So it's definitely going to, I think the momentum, the momentum will continue, I think, as well. Yeah, I'm wondering if I sold too low now. Uh, I saw somebody had, <laughs> had, there was about uh, five or six of them. They were all about $18, $19, and they were all gone this morning. This morning. Wow. And now, now it's out there. One's out for 35 or thir- two at 34 35 and then the other, next one wow. is at 100 or 94 yeah. flare. Wow. Uh, and I, yeah, so I, I don't know, you know, people are just taking them and, and doubling and uh, on checking my cards. But when I was looking at a hoop space for $12 or something, I'm thinking, I re- oh, my <laughs> remember goodness. buying hoops, uh, you know, back in that time, and they were like a, duck, a buck, a buck 50 or something. So, yeah, uh, I, yeah. yeah I'm checking my cards, and as you guys know, and folks listening, you kind of need to do your research first. You just don't, you know, see the first thing you, you, you and buy it. But, you know, you kind of have to do a little bit of research before you jump in the, to some of this stuff. So, Oh, yeah. And what's nice about Check Out My Cards is it has the sale. So if you're on – I don't know how it is on a mobile phone, but on a desktop kind of view, it has like the four-year sales chart up in the top, and you can kind of get an idea of the volume or kind of demand – over a, a period of time for a card. And so I use that a lot if there's a card on there that is, is priced relatively compar- uh, relatively well and, it, you know, 40 have sold over the last four years. Well, it's telling you that that card sells really well. Um, and if there's only maybe 18, 20, 25 of them on the site, that is a card that's going to sell uh, relatively quickly. And so I love that. I, I kind of wish they'd give you even more information on the side. I'm sure Tim at Check On My Cards is, is, is going to keep improving that kind of thing. But yeah, you know, for me, it's like Check On My Cards is awesome because it's kind of its own economy. People have balance, balances on there and kind of keep their cards on there. Some people might exclusively kind of buy and sell on there. And so, um, you know, you can kind of take advantage of the prices on there. And it's, it's certainly, um, and it certainly speeds things up. Like you said, you bought a Jordan and were able to flip it without having to send PayPal out, have that guy pack and ship it, and then have it be delivered, and then you've got to scan it and list it. There's a lot of time in between there, whereas you can just buy that card, 
reprice it and boom, uh, flip it and kind of move on to the next thing. I, I, lo- I love that. I mean, I do all my, uh, I mean, check out my cards can send me a check anytime they want. They don't. Um, but I, 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 I do the major, vast, vast majority of my buying and selling on that site, particularly because it's really, really easy and it doesn't require me to do a whole lot other than kind of click buttons. Yeah, it's, you know, I can't say enough about the check of my cards. And uh, I don't know how Jason learned about it, but I learned about it from, you know, uh, you and your, your brother Ryan. But I can't thank you enough for uh, telling us about it. And Tim should send you a check. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah, maybe maybe one day. He, you know, it's awesome. The times I've met, I actually went to check on my cards headquarters. This was a few years ago and got to sit down and, and spend, I don't know, we talked for maybe two hours or so just about um, the business and growing the company and things like that. And I wish I, I wish I had a checkbook that was large enough to make an investment at that time because I could just tell this is a company that is, is very well managed and very well run and was taking advantage of like kind of a gap in the market in the sports card community. And it's no shock or surprise to me at all that they've continued to grow uh, exponentially year after year. And for me, it's, you know, and I can understand there's some people that really love buying the cards and holding them and, and organizing them and, and, and doing all that. For me, that's not something, uh, you know, dealing cards and buying and selling cards for 20 plus years, not necessarily something I want to do. Uh, and, and plus my kids would get their hands on them and, and wreck them anyways. So right. being able to just kind of click buttons and buy cards and sell them. And, you know, it, for me, it's just, it's a great, a great, you know, it should be a piece of everybody's arsenal, whether or not you exclusively buy on there or you occasionally, it should be at least something that you check out, especially if you're a buyer, because you might be able to find a deal or you might be able to find that card or a couple cards that you've really been looking for. And it might be, might just be easier than eBay or easier than working out a deal some other site. So I'm going to say that I'm guilty as well, and I'm going to say that I knew about checking my cards but was a little confused about it, but you, Colin, were the one that kind of explained it a little bit on your podcast, and that's basically you're the reason that I started using it more than just browsing and trying to figure out the site. But now that we're eight years in, I use it every day almost, and I buy, sell, and then flip, and then keep for myself, but... I have an opinion on the question that I want to ask you, and I want to see if kind of you have the same. What do you think is keeping Check Out My Cards from being more mainstream? Like, it'll never be eBay, I get that, but what do you think is keeping it from more people using it? That's a, that's a really good question, and I think one of the things I think Tim might be guilty of is he's, he's probably a perfectionist. And so he is probably a little uh, – and this is not a criticism. This is, this is uh, more of an observation, I think. He's probably a little slow to implement things on the site that I think would help uh, the searchability of cards, also the, the ability for sellers to kind of market their cards and things like that. I think they've done some nice things integrating with eBay 
and with some of the auction stuff that's going on right now. But it's still, for me, to find the cards to buy and sell, I think there could be some improvements in terms of filtering out certain car, you know, filtering out certain cards I'm not looking for and only kind of see the ones uh, that I am. I think they could do I, – I don't think they need – the thing is, too, is I don't think they need more customers right now. I think they're almost – you know, I think they were at almost capacity in terms of the space that they have for the cards, in terms of the staff that's required to kind of support all the, the things that they do. And so I think there's some of that, too, that they can't just put the pedal down and go as fast as possible because then a lot of other things behind the scenes start breaking down. And so I think there's a little, there's a little bit of that, but I think if they wanted to become more mainstream, if they wanted more customers and things like that and really maybe um, be synon- almost as synonymous as eBay in terms of buying and selling cards, I think they'd have to do a little bit more on the buyer's end, attracting buyers with different kind of promotions, attracting new customers in, with, in terms of, you know, a certain different kind of promotions and things like that, I think. Uh, offering uh, discounts, offering uh, site credit for, for different things. Um, but again, I think they're some, you know, they're, ca- they're, they're in charge of their own catalog now. Um, and, and I, but I think there's some things they could integrate with PSA. They had it, I think they had an integration with BGS. I don't know if they still have that. But um, they could integrate with PSA and kind of have that going on. Um, I know the EPAC thing with Upper Deck probably bought, brought in a lot of people as well. But um, they definitely need a more mobile, I think a mobile-friendly or a mobile app, uh, something that I've seen prototypes of. Um, and I think pushing that out to the market, even if it's a little buggy and it doesn't work, would definitely help. Also, I think trading. If you could, if you could trade cards on there and – swap cards in that manner, that, that to me would be, would put it, you know, way above eBay in terms of um, its capabilities because obviously you can't trade on eBay. I think it would be amazing to be able to trade cards, maybe even have kind of a community aspect where people can message me on there or have a, you know, have a chat with me about a trade or making a deal or something like that. Uh, that's also something that is not on the site. So I think there's some there's some features that I think would help, um, but whether or not they have the staffing and, and kind of the manpower to support all that, I that I don't know. Um, but it probably will probably will come to fruition. But Tim, I think, is a perfectionist. He is a like a computer science guy. And I think he wants things really buttoned up really tight before he pushes it out into the marketplace, basically. And so I think there's – whereas, you know, in, I live close to Silicon Valley. Those guys just throw crap on the wall and see what happens. So it's a different – slightly different attitude uh, some, some founders, some, some operators have. Um, so I think if he balanced it a little bit, I think they could I think it could become even more 
successful than it, it already has. But, it, you know, it's kind of like looking at a really nice Corvette and being like, how can we make this better? You know, the Corvette's yeah, a really definitely. nice car. Does it have flaws? Sure. But, you know, it's a Corvette. It's nice. You know what I mean? And so I think that's, that's you know, we're kind of splitting hairs a little bit with Check Out My Cards. But um, I, I know for a fact Tim would appreciate that kind of discussion and that level of thought about the site because I'm sure it's something he does uh, every day. Yeah, I talked to him at the National in Cleveland a couple years ago, and he had brought up that they were working on the app. And, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I was hoping it would be here by now. So I I agree with you that that is the mobility. They need a mobile app, something. But kind of to piggyback what you said off the trading, even the gifting, um, I know I've talked to – uh, Ken Kinsley from Beans Ball Card Blog, and that's one thing that yeah. we buy cards for each other, and it would be great to just be like, oh, I want to buy this and put it in his port. You know, I feel like yep. if, they're, if they're moving the cards around anyway, kind of like with the trading, why can't we implement these things? But I agree with you, Tim, in a good way. does seem like a perfectionist that wants things to run smoothly. Um, just kind of the vibe I got from talking to him. So, that's not a bad thing, but like you said, maybe things could have been done already that you know that we're kind of waiting on. Nope. Yep. Yeah, I I agree. But um, you know, hey, well, I, you know, I'm sure at some point it'll it'll happen, and and you know, we'll we'll all we'll all benefit. I'm sure when right. when it does come to fruition. Although trading, I'd love. I know I'm talk, I talked to them about years ago, um, and so I think there's some. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully that that comes because that would, I think that would unlock a, a ton of cards on there. You know, that might not sell, might not necessarily sell, but could be packaged up into a trade. Um, could could definitely expose some new opportunities on the site for sure. Yeah, the, the check of my cards. I um, had talked to Tim as well. I guess it was in Chicago, and he demoed that mobile app, uh, which I was hoping it'd be out already and did talk to him and uh, he used to work for Microsoft and I kind of geeked out with him because I'm in IT as well and my just I, and Jason actually wanted me to ask him about um, selling unopened wax as well and mm. when I was kind of surprised at the answer and not really surprised but that he had put so much thought into the this before and his concern and Colin, I think you hit it right in the head where he's kind of a perfectionist. Um, so he didn't want wax boxes because he was afraid that they'd have to be sealed cases because he didn't want the case to be taken out and then selling wax boxes. Um, and then possibly older wax that uh, was not um, sealed or whatever, they need to be like maybe shrink wrapped from baseball card exchange or something like that. So, you know, he's definitely thinking of these things because he had thought about that for quite a while before I asked him. So, um, But I, I think, and I also asked him about the, because I think, Colin, you had brought it up about, and because you are doing the website and doing the clicks and everything else about um, affiliate marketing and that he, when the site must have been built, they did not build it for that. So trying to integrate that to capture that information that's not there yet for them to do a fluid of marketing. So I, I think he might be missing 
uh, he's great because he was saying he's still coding, uh, him and a couple other developers, which I was really shocked that he's still coding and not, um, you know, kind of looking at some of these things. Colin, you know this, um, you know, like your CEO, he's looking at the company five years out. He's not looking at your day-to-day kind of in the trenches. Uh, he's looking at kind of where to steer the ship. So uh, I, I think he might be missing a business um, piece or whatever. But, again, to your Corvette analogy, you know, it, it's fantastic. But, you know, he it sounds like he is integrating and trying to improve for stuff that's just slow to come. Definitely. And I think it will come, but, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, the Corvette analogy, it's like we always, we want four-wheel drive or we want, you know, we want this on the Corvette. And it's like, it'll come. GM will do it someday, but, you know, it, it's not going to come at the speed that the, the, the hardcore connoisseurs are, are definitely going to, would like it to. Um, so, but it, 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 it will. Um, I'm, I'm confident of that. And certainly if he had affiliate marketing, gosh, it sounds like I could have made a couple dollars off that, but uh, that's okay. You would have gotten your check. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. I would have gotten my check. It would have been nice, but uh, that's, that's okay. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've profited. I don't know. I don't keep track. I don't, you know, do accounting on, on what I've made on the site, but it's, it's probably it's a fair amount at this point for sure. So we were talking about that. I have to ask you another question. I kind of switch gears. You know, I know you've been in the hobby for a long time. You've, um, like I said, worked at some shops and had your resale, uh, wholesale license and stuff. And I saw that you were named as a witness in a lawsuit. <laughs> I didn't, don't know if you could talk about that or, or if you have any well, I can talk about that, yeah. That. Um, yeah, to be honest with you, I found out, uh, like, as everybody else found out, I found out on Twitter uh, when – It might have been me. Paul yeah, let go. You know. yeah, and so I was like – I woke up that morning, people were talking about it, and I saw my name next to uh, – I think it was the executive of the NHL, and I was like – I was like, I thought it was fake. Like, I was like, this can't be real. Uh, but, no, it's, it's 100% legit. I think that um, – so last year, a ton of stuff happened, and we're actually coming up on the one-year anniversary of kind of a, a lot of this trimming stuff and the Heroes of Sport kind of debacle, and there was just a ton of news dropped on the hobby last year, and some of that also involved Leaf trading cards and Joe Clemens and the grading thing that happened there. And so there was a lot of stuff that happened, and I think what happened was this information was mainly being posted on the blowout uh, blowout trading cards forum, and some of it was on Net54, and then some of it was on sportscardradio.com. And some of the leaf, the stuff that um, really dealt with Brian Gray and Leaf and Joe Clemens, that originated on our site and some of that information is you know we all I guess we would be considered like the quote-unquote witness for some of that information and I believe some of the some of the some of the stuff involved in this trial relates to that relates to the relates to the black label Joe Clemens kind of stuff and I think Upper Deck 
You know, I can't I, – I don't know – to be honest with you, I don't know what Upper Deck's motives are. I don't know if they, they know that I get under Brian Gray's skin a little bit or – Brian Gray's the CEO of LEAF, if people don't know. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Honestly, I think there is this, like, misconception that I really don't like LEAF or I don't like Brian Gray. That's not, that's not the case at all. It's just if you do something that I think is shady, if you do something that I think is deceiving collectors, I'm going to talk about that. I'm, I'm going to let people know about that and let people make the, their own decisions. But it's not personal. It's not, uh, you know, I don't want to bury him in the ground. I don't, want, you know, I don't want to see him be hauled off in handcuffs and go to jail. That's, what, that's for the court or, or police and all that to decide. Um, but there, there is there is information related to particularly the black label, what happened with the black label stuff that was found only on sportscardradio.com. And I want to say that is probably why Upper Deck has called us to testify. But then again, I don't know. I do have private conversations that I've had with Brian Gray uh, not recently, but when this stuff went down. Uh, so obviously I've saved those and things like that. Um, but I don't, think it rela- I don't think it relates to anything like that. I think it's really that the information was on our website and their lawyers are probably looking at that as we're technically witnesses to that information. And they probably want to know how we got it, where we got it, what else we know might know things like that, um, and I'm pretty sure all the the entire court system is frozen due to the coronavirus. So who knows what? You know, I don't know what what will happen. I'm not a lawyer. I don't. Uh, you know, I, I've never been called to testify in anything uh, that didn't directly relate to me. So I I don't particularly know what will happen, but God knows if I'm called to testify, I will let everybody know what is going on and will give everybody uh, an inside look as much as I could. I mean, if I'm advised not to say anything, obviously I'll have to respect those, those requests, but um, my brother and I will no doubt, um, you know, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to put this, you know, we'll, We'll make the most of it. We'll get our money's worth out of it, that's for sure. Um, and w- whatever happens, we will certainly let people know what, you know, what happened. But for now, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't exactly know Upper Deck's motive, but I believe – I have not been – and to be totally transparent, I have not been contacted by them. I have not done anything under oath or talked to any attorneys or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, once that day comes, for sure I will let everybody know if, I am al- if that is something I'm, you know, allowed to do at the time, uh, which I, I, don't, I don't know at this point. You know, I wish I had more. I, if I had more, I certainly would say it. Uh, but I don't at this time other than I believe – that it's related to the the black label and kind of grading and kind of card trimming thing uh, that went on, uh, you know, in the summer of last year. That's why I'm so glad you have the um, podcast and stuff. You bring everybody along on the journey. Um, 
and, and you're not afraid to uh, point out anything that's kind of shady in the hobby because definitely without any oversight, you know, there's opportunity where people, you know, can be taken advantage of. And, and that's one of the things that I love that your site, I know you catch a lot of flack for some of that stuff. Um, everybody wants everything to be all rosy and, and happy, but, uh, you know, sometimes there's some stuff in the hobby that, you know, you need to kind of, you know, shine the light on that you think, you know, trying to get a bum deal. Cause if I think it's what, what you're talking about is the Jerry, is the Jerry Clements that he got all those tens black label on SGC, right? Or was that, no, is that uh, Beckett? It was on BGS and he was an employee of that. He was, he used to be an employee of Beckett and now he works for Leaf and he, you know, nobody really knew his, his role um, other than that he would grade, he would send cards back to his former employer and get incredible grade. I mean, he ran, he ran like, uh, like God uh, on submission. It was incredible. And there was also a connection to, um, now that I recall, uh, so some of the LEAF employees got exclusive cards at the National that were meant for a promotion. So every company does a promotion where you buy XYZ or you come to the booth and you get a pack of cards or, a, you, know, you know, just some national exclusive cards. Well, a lot of the rare ones, typically there's one of ones and ones out of five and ten and whatnot. So those went to the employees instead of collectors. And so there's definitely, you know, there's, there's just, I just don't like seeing that. I, I don't think you need to run your business like that in, in, in the hobby. I don't think there's any, um, and if you do run your business like that, you deserve to be, uh, that deserves to be called upon. And it deserves, you know, whether people are like it or not, you know, you got, there are no, there's no hobby police. And I'm not really trying to be the police. I just want to put that information out there and let people know what's going on. And, and so they, they can make that decision themselves if they're buying these cards or buying, or, you know, there's guys out there that probably only collect black labels. And if you're collecting black labels and there's a guy that literally can print those like the United States dollar, you should know about that. You know what I mean? Like you should know like that, that is, that might affect how you collect and your decision making. And so I think, you know, like you said, people, people, uh, People give us crap about it, but my brother and I, we, we, you know, we actually like relish in that. We, we, we might like that more than people complimenting the show or, or liking the show. We probably like it almost as much. To me, it's almost a bigger compliment to have somebody listen to your show or consume your content and then take the time to complain about it. Uh, that to me is, is, you know, you really done something uh, pretty well, uh, I think, when when you get to when you can do that level of of reporting, I guess you could call it. But um, yeah, I just you know I just don't like seeing it, it. To me, it's not hard to make money in this hobby. It's not hard to to do those things, and I, I don't think there's any place to I, I don't think there's any place for to be scamming people. Um, but it happens in this hobby as much as any other hobby I've been a part of. So I just try to share that information and let people do, do with it what they want. You know what I mean? 
So I'm curious. Yeah, definitely. I want to ask you: Do you filter what you put out there? Like, say, three things might come to your attention. Do you or like oh, I don't need to do this one? I'll do these two. They're better. Or do you just kind of whatever I find, I'm putting out there because it's information for like for the people, like for the collectors. That that's a really good question. So we do. Um, yeah, I mean, just every week somebody says, hey, this group breaker did this, or this guy's doing right, this on Facebook. Right. And, yeah, I would say, I would actually say most of it we don't, we don't even respond to, um, only because we don't want to ever put ourselves in the position where we call, and maybe it's happened, I don't know, where we call somebody out and it's, it, it's not not an accurate reflection of the situation. We typically, uh, I think my brother put it one way, we try to punch our way up. You know, the guy on Facebook, the, the, sing, the group breaker in his mom's basement or whatever, you know, those guys are going to exist. And, you know, have we taken shots at those guys? Sure. But if Leaf is doing something, if Beckett is doing something, if PSA is doing something, if one of these more major companies, I guess you could say, Panini, Tops, all of them, if they're doing something that we don't think is, is above board, then, yeah, we typically run with it uh, almost right away. Um, but a lot of the little stuff we let go, um, not because we don't think it's important, but I think it gets, after a while, it might get muddled if we're just constantly, hey, this guy scammed people out of an $800 break. Or, you know, I, it would, I think it would get muddled a little bit. And so we typically try to, try to focus on either the most egregious um, kind of scams and the ones that might even be kind of humorous or, or obviously kind of punching up to you know, the companies that everybody is aware of in the hobby, right. um, whether, right. whether it's a grading company or something like that, we typically focus there because that's the most, you know, to me, if you're not going to police them, then, you know, what do you do? You know, there's, there's no reason to talk about the, the, the other, the little guys and stuff like that that are doing stuff. But, yeah, we are sent stuff all the time on Facebook, email, Twitter, but typically we don't even respond to a lot of the little stuff. Um, we, you know, you know, you got to be, people have just got to be vigilant on their own. And, but some of this big stuff, yeah, we, we definitely feel, I don't know if it's a responsibility or if it's just, um, it's, you know, after 12 years uh, doing a podcast, you start running out of shit to talk. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, stuff to talk. I don't know if we can cuss on this. Uh, you run out of stuff to talk about. And so, you know, when, when Tops or Panini or something like that are doing something that is kind of uh, off base or off board, then, yeah, you got to run with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of those little guys are going to fall all by the wayside anyways on their own. Uh, especially right. because a lot of that stuff where people are scamming breaks or whatever, a lot of times those collectors take care of them, take care of it themselves. And like you said, the bigger stuff is 
what I would worry about as well. So, Right, right. No, exactly. So I don't know if you saw the news this week, and I'd love to get your opinion. I think I already know, but Panini modified their redemption. <laughs> Have you seen that? Yeah, I saw that. Yes, I did. So you will get an exclusive here because I was definitely going to talk about this on my podcast, and I will talk about it here uh, first. Uh, to me, given the situation we have going on where, you know, we obviously have this coronavirus, Panini is not releasing uh, their, any trading cards uh, uh, from an unopened box perspective at the cadence or the schedule that they were going to anyway. So basketball, football, baseball, and certain NASCAR, all this stuff has been pushed back and likely somewhat indefinitely, although I think it will, will get, it'll get fired up um, within probably 30 to 60 days. But everything's going to be delayed. So the hobby then was going to start focusing, especially breakers and stuff like that, we're going to start focusing on 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016 products that's still out there and still, you know, in unopened box form. And so to pull the rug out from collectors that were now focused on that product, to just pull the rug out with no advance warning. You know, if Panini were smart, and I'll get to my, the reason why I don't – I really think they're probably in financial – more financial stress than people think because if they were smart, if this was like something to drive sales or something they wanted to drive sales, they could have gave like a 30-day notice. They could have been like, guys, we're going to change our policy, but we're going to give you 30 days. Everybody would have ran out and just busted all this stuff open. You know what I mean? But it, So instead of doing that, they literally just – and it was very casually, it seemed like, on Twitter – uh, and maybe on some other – I don't think they made like a blog post or an official press release about it or anything like that. It was just really casually, oh, yeah, we're, not, we're no longer going to support these redemptions. And I think people th- looked at it as, oh, look, they're, they're going it, to – you know, it's a company that prints money, and now they're being even more greedy. I actually think it's the opposite. I, I think that this is a company that runs on very thin margins, This is a company that, yes, from a sales perspective, probably looks rather impressive, you know, especially when you're selling, you know, four or $5,000 boxes. From a top-line perspective, looks very impressive. But when you start chopping out all the hands that are in that business, from the distributor to the leagues to the players to the manufacturer that actually makes the cards to the employees to UPS and, and, and FedEx that actually have to ship the cards, they don't, they're not left with mountains of money at Panini. And then when you factor in, they have all these IOUs that are either sitting in the boxes right now in terms of a form of a redemption, or a lot of people that actually collect these cards, you know, probably have maybe a dozen, two dozen, maybe even more redemptions that are sitting online in Panini's system that are waiting to be redeemed. And some of them are, are months, if not years old. And so that is, that is a liability on a company that is not, is not making lots and lots and lots of profit. They just don't. Um, you know, license, 
you know, like Nike license, you know, makes the jerseys to the NFL. They don't make any money doing that. You know, do they make a little bit? Sure. No, Nike makes money selling, you know, $20 sneakers for $200, uh, you know. So, you know, it's, it, I actually think it's a sign that some gloomier days might be coming. Some gloomier days might be might be coming, you know, especially the longer that they don't get to print cards, the longer they don't get to make cards, you know, the leagues aren't going to take an IOU like, like collectors are. Uh, I know that for a fact because I have season tickets to the NFL. They're charging me for them. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to – I don't know if the games are going to be played, let alone if I'm going to be able to go to the game. But the NFL isn't, isn't going to stop taking my money. So I doubt they're not, they're not going to let Panini stop paying any kind of royalty and any kind of guarantee that is owed to them. Um, so this is a company I think that, you know, the longer this goes on could be – I mean, if they were swimming in money, would they do something like this? If they were just printing money like the United States government, would they do something like this? I don't think so. I, I don't think they would. Um, so it, it, I just think it's – if I had redemptions, not expired redemptions, if I had redemptions sitting in their system, I would not be feeling very good right now, especially if it was a lot of money and a lot of very significant cards because that's, that, that to me is next, that they're like, well, if you have a redemption in the system that's 18 months old, you're SOL and you get 300 Panini points or you get this, you know, XYZ player buy. You know, Topps has done that. Topps has had you know, sent out, I think it was Gary Carter one year, where they just, you, if, you had a redemp- if you had a redemption in their system, they literally cleared it out and sent you a Gary Carter autograph. Um, and so to me, uh, you know, to me that's next, that, you know, you have a, you know, you have a, a Kobe Bryant or Magic Johnson or, or some, you know, Jeff Gordon or whatever autograph sitting in their system, and then they're all of a sudden send you some, some uh, 12th man on the bench um, and say sorry. So uh, to me, that, that would worry me uh, very much. Uh, thankfully, I do have zero redemption cards, but I know there's lots of people probably listening right now that have uh, plenty of redemptions and, and ones that they probably spent lots of money on and care a lot about. So I would, I'm not trying to make anybody nervous or scared. I'm just telling you exactly how I feel because I've seen this. We've seen this happen before. Um, you know, th- to me, this is like the first step <laughs> to a card company kind of showing to the community that they're not very financially secure. I want to say Fleer and Donruss did similar things uh, right before they had some problems. Upper Deck has had financial troubles. Um, Tops as well. None of these companies um, are as financially secure as it might seem, um, particularly because the leagues and the owners make all the money. You know what I mean? Like the, Mar- think about Mark Cuban and Jerry Jones and these guys that own these leagues. These guys don't want to see Panini get rich. They want to get rich. These guys are greedy. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd be worried. I'd be concerned. This is not a move 
from a company to me. This is not a confidence-building move from a company when we're literally – everybody's like has this uncertainty going on right now in, in the entire world, and all of a sudden they're pulling, pulling expired redemptions out when they're live, too. That's the key thing, too. Like some of these cards are live. Like you get a redemption card. Yes, it might be expired, but that card is live. The guy, Kobe or Giannis or whoever, has signed those cards, and they probably have those cards. And they're not going to fulfill them now? Whew. I don't know. That, to me, is, you know, again, if they were swimming in money over there at Panini, I don't see any reason why you would do this, especially as suddenly and as quickly as they did. They should have gave everybody 15 days, 30 days notice, and they could have created, like, they literally could have created a marketing event around the whole thing. But they didn't even do that. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd be concerned. I don't know if I'm off base. I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but that's how, that's how I feel about it. No, I'm I glad think you mentioned that's... clear. Sorry. I was gonna say, I'm glad you mentioned clear because I remember when they went bankrupt and you, if you had an outstanding redemption, you just got random cards from their inventory. And I remember it was like a crapshoot of what you were going to get. And it was funny that you talked about the Gary Carter thing with Top because I remember something about that as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, yeah I, because I, it's happened before. That's the thing. Is it's, it's like there was no precedent to this, then I could be making up some wild conspiracy right now. But there's literally precedent for this uh, in the hobby. And when they pull the rug out from people, when people are losing their jobs, losing, you know, maybe losing their health, you know, and – the company is not making any new cards. So we're all, you know, if you're an unopened box guy or you're, you know, you like to buy into breaks or whatever it is, you're going back to 2018. You're going back to 2017. You're going back to 2016. Like that's literally what people are doing now. And to then basically kill those sales or to kind of put a damper on those sales to me makes no sense from a business perspective other than, you're sitting around the boardroom and you're thinking, man, you're starting to look at the balance sheet and you're starting to think, wow, we've got all these unfunded liabilities in terms of redemption. We've got to start making some changes right now. Like it seemed like somebody looked at the financials and was like, dude, we've got to make, you know, we can't wait 30 days. We've got to make decisions uh, right now and, and start changing things. That, you know, I, I don't know. I would be... I would be wildly concerned. Not only that, I mean, you know, how are they getting autographs right now? These guys aren't playing. I know that. But, you know, it's got to be tough getting autographs from these players right now when they're in quarantine. They're not supposed to be within six feet of anybody. So it's, uh, it's, it's you know, I'd be, I'd be nervous. I'd be concerned, especially if you had high-dollar high dollar cards with them. I certain, you know what I see a lot happen too is guys get a really nice card and it has a small little ding on it. And then they contact Panini and is like, Hey, can you replace this? And I'm thinking to myself, like, I wouldn't take that chance. Like this is a company that could literally take that card, sit on it for two years and then send you a load of crap in return for it. So, you know, I would just, I'd be very careful um, there's a reason why I have zero redemptions and zero, you know, 
zero uh, exposure to this because it is uh, it can happen, and it's not you know the the Gary Carter situation for me was like the biggest one of the biggest ones in recent memory was like just like they literally just sent you a, a message and. I don't remember. I remember I got one. I don't remember what it was for. It probably wasn't for anything significant, but um, you know, it's it can happen. And I would be, for me, it's not it's not a good sign. It's not a sign. I saw some people like saying, "Oh, they make so much money that now they can do this." I I don't think that's <laughs> to me. This is not a sign of a company that's making a bunch of money and then just says decides to say "f you" to everybody. I, I don't I, – I just don't see it that way. Yeah, I think the canary in the coal mine here, uh, you kind of touched on it, is what do they do with the really old redemptions that are already in the system? You know, they clear them out and say, okay, here you go, um, and kind of flush everything out. So that's going to be um, something, I guess, to look forward to. And that's why I love talking with you, you know, yeah, some of these insights. And I have a couple of things here I wanted to talk to you about. So yeah, I think to your point, maybe, um, and I think Jason had to drop off, but that, you know, they should have given a little more warning or that the labels on the hobby boxes or blaster boxes should, you know, it's in little print where these everything re- expires by a certain date. Now that these are all literally expiring, you know, do they have an obligation to put in big, bold print that <laughs> – uh, you know, a year, a year and a half after this box, if there's a redemption in it, it's no go. I, you know, I think they could create, like, if they really have, like, a really good marketing department over there, they could create a marketing event around it. They could have a little countdown on their website and be like, hey, 2016 playoff prestige, they're going to expire. Here's where you can buy it and, and throw links up to Steel City and, and uh, you know, blow out cards in DA and say, hey, you know, they could, like, literally create a marketing event around the redemptions expiring. Um, but they don't because I, they want them to expire worthless. Um, and their, their move this last week is an illustration of that. They want, the, they want to put these IOUs in boxes and then have them go unclaimed. And to me, that is just... Uh, you know, I I can't think of another industry that I'm involved in where it's like they want, you know, like if, if I bought a car and, and, and there was an IOU in there for a certain kind of uh, entertainment package and then all of a sudden, it, you know, like I, I just don't think it's it's a sign of a company that is really doing well because if they were really doing well and they really wanted these redemption cards to be fulfilled and really meet those obligations, they could create a marketing event around it. They could give people notice. They could put links to, here's Blowout. Blowout has a box. VA has a box. Steel City has a box. All this stuff. They could, like, show where you could buy this stuff before the clock ran out. Um, but they literally just hit the, hit the clock and hit the expiration on the clock and put it to zero and said, sorry, guys. Uh, you know, and, and I just think, the, you know, I start thinking about what's next after that. Like, what is next after they do something like that? Because if they do, they can do something like that as casually and as easily as they did that, what is next? Like you said, are the redemptions that are 24 months old in the system, all of a sudden you get 
uh, you know, some, some Joe Scrub on the Phoenix Suns as a replacement, you know, and you know, we've seen that happen. So, I, I, you know, it just doesn't, to me, it doesn't, it, it's not, doesn't show a lot of confidence. And I certainly wouldn't have confidence if I pulled a redemption of any kind from Panini or pretty much any company, I would not have a lot of confidence that I was going to get that card. And I definitely would not have a lot of confidence that I would get it in a timely fashion. So, yeah, I don't have a we'll lot see. of redemptions. Yeah, but I don't have a lot of redemptions. I am, um, you know, when I do the NASCAR stuff, I put, um, when I list the checklist and stuff like that, I put, like, the date it was released. And I also put the information of when the redemptions expire. Um, because, like you, I think, you know, that is poor business. I understand why the card companies do it. But I think they're trying to rush the product out, and they shouldn't release it if not. But I guess where I was going with this is that, you know, Redemption started getting in the system, and we were getting accustomed to it. But Tops, I don't know if you remember, I guess it was an 08, 09 or something. They ran, um, they had their Redemption for, I guess it was a code, and you put it in, and you got a card, um, and you, they actually didn't put the card in the pack, and they ran that promo. And and then, like, the following year, they did the same promo again. And I'm thinking, okay, are these the same cards? But because people didn't claim them and people didn't pay to get them shipped, that they kind of got flushed out. You know, are they reselling the same uh, redemption again and again because people uh, aren't getting them? And, you know, when you look at the older wax boxes, you know, when you put those redemptions in and those signatures, they have value. And so those, that box has value. And then as they age, those boxes have value because like the 2000 Tom Brady's and stuff like that over time. But how, uh, and I saw this on the PSA message board, somebody opened a box of 2000 and it was a Brady uh, signature, I think, or something like that. And I was like, oh my goodness, um, if that was a live card, uh, that would have been incredible. But, um, because they're not doing that, those boxes, you know, don't have that much value. And, you know, now the people are buying the older wax, like you were saying, because people are home and buying stuff, and now that all of a sudden all these are expired, if you were sitting on older wax, you know, I have a, a case of um, some of the race, and I know that uh, Victory Lane, I know there's some ex, ex, uh, redemptions in it, uh, like 2019, I need to open it because I, if I, I need to get it in the window. Otherwise, I am done. Right. Yeah. No, and it takes away that whole aspect of, yeah, sitting on anything because if there's any, any significant redemptions in there, the company could lose their license. I mean, we've seen this with Upper Deck. They've lost their license with baseball, football, and basketball, and Tops have lost it with football and, and basketball as well. So it's like, you know, when they lose the license and you're sitting on something that maybe four, five, six years old, there, you know, there, it creates a, it creates a situation where, you know, that, that's, you know, yeah, people aren't going to be sitting, you know, I don't know how big that market is anyways, but, you know, if you do want to sit on it, now you have to worry about, you know, there's just so much that you have to worry about. Um, and you do have to open open it up. And I think these companies would would I think it'd be great marketing, and it would be great way to build goodwill in the hobby to really create a clear policy and a clear um, you know uh, you know 
it'd be great to have like a sequence of events that they would follow. Like the guy pulls a 2000 Tom Brady. I mean, yeah, they probably cannot make that card anymore. And maybe they don't have a relationship with Tom Brady or maybe even the NFL, but here's what we will do for you. Like, I'd love to see a card company do that. Be like, okay, you pull a card that's 20 years old, that's worth, you know, $8,000 or whatever. Here's what we will do for you. Um, you know, we'll, you know, we'll try to do this. Um, it just seems that there is no rhyme or reason a lot of times to what they're doing. And when they do things like this, it, it just really makes me concerned uh, that, you know, the executives were sitting around and they started looking at the financials and they realized they got to start making some, some big decisions really quickly. Um, because I know that I think it's every six months they have to pay these leaks. And it's a lot of money. I know for the NFL, it's like millions, tens of millions of dollars a year just for the NFL license, let alone the NBA and, and all the other stuff they're doing. So, you know, I can see how, you know, you're a month away from that bill being due, and then all of a sudden, all you're, basically you're choked off from putting out new products. Um, you know, you might start worrying about being able to pay that obligation. Uh, so that, I don't know if that's what's going on, but just from, uh, you know, studying, seeing all these card companies go, go in and out, most of them have gone bankrupt or gone bust. So to, to say, it's actually not a, it's not a conspiracy. It's not, it's actually not a stretch of the imagination to think, well, Panini could go bust one day, um, and that would definitely make me nervous if I if they owed me anything of any kind of value. Um, so, not trying to scare your listeners, not trying to <laughs> you know make them concerned, but I think it is worth talking about because um, they you know everybody's working hard these days. Everybody wants to make their dollar go a little further, and you know just being aware of this stuff might might help you make make those decisions. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily scaring folks. I mean, when it comes to NASCAR wax, all you got to do is wait a couple of months and it'll drop. There's nothing that sells for more than what it came out for. So, but I could see, I could see folks buying, you know, older wax, 2017, 2018. I think 2018 Prism is expired. Uh, Victory Lane, uh, this other stuff. You know, you get in a box, but now the if you get a redemption, they're you know. They're not long about. It's not even a. I'm giving you 100 panini points or getting what you wanted. It's uh, don't even send it in because uh, use it as a filler or to protect your number one card in a in a wax box or whatever. Yeah. In, a, in a storage box. So, and, and <sighs> you make a point about you know panini because panini is is European country right a company right and then they have a U.S. presence here but I don't think they're headquartered out of here or do you know. No, they are headquarters, headquartered in Italy, uh, of all places, uh, which, you know, hopefully everybody's, uh, you know, in good health in, uh, in, in their, their home country. I know that they have – so it was a company that was founded a while ago. They have a presence with comic books and, and obviously the soccer stickers every four years uh, with the World Cup. But they actually restructured the business a few years ago where it allowed some of the original, and this is Panini Group, not necessarily Panini America. This is the entire gigantic company. So they restructured that. They had 
a mountain of debt. I want to say they had hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of a liability, in terms of debt. And so they were able to kind of restructure that, allow some of the original owners to exit the company and kind of, you know, basically sell their shares, collect some money, go retire or whatever they wanted to do. And it allowed kind of a newer group to kind of lead the company into the next, age. Uh, Yeah, Panini America is, I would guess, is a small fraction of the entire company. Um, When I look at their sales, uh, like a a 10, 15 year, because their their sales, they they put every World Cup, they kind of brag about how much revenue they have. And so you can kind of, they always, you know, they're on CNBC or Bloomberg kind of bragging about their sales. And I think Panini America kind of got founded right around 2007 or 2008, right around that time. Well, Panini Group, the entire company's sales, has never really gone up that much. So it just shows to me that Panini America, when it comes to football cards, baseball cards, basketball cards, doesn't really add a bunch of money to the the entire thing. The company is really reliant on the soccer stickers, and distributing comic books overseas. The baseball, football, basketball, NASCAR stuff uh, certainly generates revenue, certainly probably generates a small amount of profit, but it's not nearly – I think there's a misconception in the hobby that this is a company that's just swimming in cash and everybody's balling. Um, That is not not the case. They have leveraged the company tremendously. They've borrowed mountains and mountains of money to keep the company. And that's the same with Tops. Tops has, I think, two or $300 million in debt. And I think they had about $400 million in sales in the last calendar year. So it just shows you that, you know, think about that. Like if you were like a person and you had $80,000 in, in credit card debt and you made $100,000, you know, in salary, you're probably not feeling that rich. And so that's where these companies are. They, yes, they make lots in sales, but they have a mountain, a mountain of debt to pay off. Um, and so it's, it's uh, you know, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be super, super confident um, in, in terms of them meeting their obligations because if these companies find financial hardship, you know, the, the bank's, and the people that own the debt get taken care of first. The redemption cards, the leagues, the athletes, those guys are second, and obviously the collectors would be, would be last, and we've seen that play out. I don't want to say that that's what I think is going to happen, but it's certainly, especially with what's going on right now, it's certainly, it's certainly a possibility. Um, so I hope, hope for everybody who's listening, uh, I hope that's not the case, but it, it is, you know, there's been a pattern of this in the past. And so I would, I would not, yeah, there's not a big organ, like there's, I think to sum it up, there's not a big group behind Panini America that just has a bunch of a mountain of money and they can just bail them out. That is not from everything that I've seen. And I've actually gotten a lot of good information. People have sent me really, and that's really where I've gotten most of my information about this is I've had other people send me a lot of information about this. Um, there's not a big, big, gigantic corporation behind Panini America that just is sitting on cash that can just bail these guys out. And that is the same with, it's same with Pops. 
It's the same with Upper Deck. It's the same with all of them. These are, um, these are as fragile as any other company that exists, um, especially in, in times like these. Yeah, when you were talking about that, I was thinking like with PressPass, who actually I uh, found that was a company underneath uh, oil gas company. And, you know, they weren't making a ton of money either. And I think, you know, they were trying to go after the college license and stuff like that and got beat by Upper Deck, whatever. And I think they just decided to, you know, just kind of close up. But, you know, the profit mar margin on making stickers and sticker books has got to be huge compared to, you know, I don't think people realize what it takes to go into the cards, right? You need a license from the, um, the sport, um, players, player images. Uh, you need to create the cards. You know, if you're going to have uh, jerseys and signatures, you need um, to acquire that. And the signatures, I've heard it said a couple times that, like, for NASCAR, they have to pay the drivers for the signatures, and you can get the cards on the secondhand market cheaper than what the company paid to get the driver to sign the card. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then you have the overhead of upper management and the printing of the cards and distribution and stuff. So I think to your, you know, you're right on with the margins and you're hoping that uh, they're, you know, they're making some money and that they can kind of maybe squirrel it away. And, but, you know, there's companies that mismanage their, their money all the time. Uh, if you follow business, you know uh, good companies go under um, by being mismanaged or whatever. So it, it's, just, it's just business, right? It's just business, and they're not immune to any of the other. I mean, I saw Neiman Marcus is going to go bankrupt. Um, we're going to see a slew of bankruptcies um, over the next 12 to 24 months. I mean, companies that people probably had no idea were in any kind of financial trouble. I mean, obviously, like JCPenney's and Sears and some of these places are 100% going to go out of business. But there's going to be so many businesses that are going to shock people that are going to go out of business um, for a number of different reasons. Um, but uh, so, and again, I don't want to say that I – think that's going to happen. I just think it's a, it's the, the longer that they don't get to make cards, the, the, the higher the probability it, it will happen. Because like you said, they pay the, they not only, they pay the NFL a royalty on sales and the players a royalty on sales, but it is guaranteed. So even if they sell $0 and trade, everybody just quits cards and, and they, nobody buys them. Well, guess what? They still have to pay the NFL whatever they – I know with the players associated, I think it's $20 million a year. So it, think about that. That's like $2 million a month, basically, that they are paying the NFL Players Association. They probably pay the owners a similar amount. So we're talking about close to $40 million a year just in a licensing fee to make football cards. We haven't talked about basketball cards, baseball cards. NASCAR cards or any other cards that they make. It is not, you know, the, the, these leagues and these, these leagues are owned by very, 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 uh, you know, I mean, Mark Cuban's on Shark Tank. These guys are all sharks. They do not <laughs> let people use their logos and their property to get rich. They do it to, for themselves to get rich. They're not looking at Panini and being like, how can we help you make money? 
That's not how they look at it. They look at it, how can they squeeze a company like Panini's neck to where they can make a little bit of profit, stay in business, but they, take, they basically take the maximum amount of money. That's how they look at it, and they do a great job at it. That's why most deals with the NFL and the NBA and all these leagues is a sponsorship, just like how Pepsi might sponsor a driver in NASCAR. They're not looking at it as, okay, we're going we're gonna to sponsor them for $20 million and we're going to make $22 million in, in Pepsi sales. They don't look at it like that. They look at it as, okay, we spend this amount of money on marketing, and we're going to do $20 million on this NASCAR driver, and hopefully it drives awareness to either Pepsi or KFC or whatever brand that they, they want to attach to the guy. So it, it's, it's a sponsorship. Most of the time it is, it, it, you know, it is a sponsorship, and it, it's almost like an advertising deal. And, you know, but some of these companies like Panini actually try to eke out a profit, and they do probably for the most part, but we're seeing so much uncertainty now um, in terms of them being able to manufacture cards that it, is, it could become a very dire situation. Because like I said, these, the money to the league is guaranteed. They don't care that the coronavirus is going on right now. They don't give a crap. You know, they're going to want their check, I think it's every six months. So coming up, what, in two months, all these manufacturers, Top and Panini, are going to have to send a check to the leagues that they have licenses with, whether they made cards or not, whether they sold cards or not. And that's, uh, I certainly wouldn't be, you know, if I was an executive at one of these companies, I certainly wouldn't be excited about that. I know that for a fact. So, uh, you know, that might be the reason why we're seeing them make some of these decisions that are not at all popular um, with collectors, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a real balancing act because you have, like, Major League Baseball and the rest of them, um, and I was thinking, like, with Tops, they want to let Tops produce cards, but they want to get paid. They don't want to overcharge Tops so that they put them out of business, the card companies, to pay the sport the money to keep, let them be in business, but not to make, you know, a ton of money off of them, right? Exactly, your point, like, exactly. So I, I was thinking, like, well, you know, baseball cards probably back in the 80s and stuff like that, and then the more card companies got into it, and more of them were wanting to, you know, do anything for a license, and they were, you know, spending a ton of money just to get it. But I think the card companies didn't think about what that was going to do with driving the price up, and, you know, because I'm sure Major League is not going to drop the price and let Tops or whoever make uh, a bunch of money, right, because they – you have the players and, and the league, you know, they, they want to survive as well. So, For sure. And, and you know, it's, it's you know, I, th- I mean, we could talk about the margins that a pro team might make. You know, it's probably not as sexy as it, 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 it might seem. So these guys have to generate, you know, they have to generate money. And um, they're not, you know, the NFL does not exist to make money for anybody except the players and the owners. Those are the only two people that it exists for to make money. I mean, even like the Super Bowl, you know, the Super Bowl on CBS or Fox, they don't really make, you know, and everybody sees how much, you know, companies pay per ad or whatever. You know, 
they don't make a ton of money airing the Super Bowl, just like the NBC doesn't make a ton of money airing the Olympics. It's really so they can promo whatever other shows that they have going on because that's what they make money. You know, CBS and, and Fox, that, that's how they make money. They make money on The Big Bang Theory or, or some other show. You know, they, they just, you know, get the Super Bowl to drive eyeballs to other things, you know. And so I think that's what a lot of people don't – I get the feeling like a lot of people don't, don't get that uh, in, in the hobby, that, that, that these companies are doing really well. That is, you know, no, the owners of these leagues are doing really well. Um, and the reason why is because companies like Panini exist and Nike and AT&T and, uh, and all this stuff, they exist to basically attach their name to, and it's NASCAR might be maybe the shining example of that, where these guys have patches and, you know, stuff all over their car and their hat. And, you know, none of those companies, that logo isn't responsible for that company making money. It is, it is an advertising expense. It's part of a budget that that company has. And it, it allows them to, to get an image. It allows them to attach their name to either a certain driver or a certain kind of lifestyle. And, you know, but, but that company is going to make money doing something else, um, you know, and selling a product, selling something else. It's not going to be directly related to the guy's, the logo on the guy's hat. Yeah, I think NASCAR is Bill France uh, Sr., the original uh, I think he might have been uh, a mastermind when it came to that back in the early days. They'd run the races, and then he'd get sponsorship for the race, and then it would be, you know, the Bojangles 500 or whatever, and then the advertising on the side of the cars and, and the driver's suits, and then, you know, it just it, – because, you know, the, the company's not making anything for being on the car or whatever. They're getting, like you said, uh, the airtime. And I remember – them calculating like how much uh, airtime that they would get uh, on the TV, and then that w- that was a formula that said, okay, this is how much um, value you're getting for being a sponsor of the team, and you know Dupont for Jeff Gordon or Lowe's Home Improvement for Jimmy Johnson. You know they're synonymous with with that image and with that driver. So, oh yeah, and even I mean I just being very 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 casual observer of NASCAR. Like you said, DuPont, what is the first thing I think of when I think DuPont? Jeff Gordon and, you know, Home Depot, Tony Stewart, um, you know, even Pepsi with Jeff Gordon, Budweiser with Dale Earnhardt. So, you know, that's how the – I think that's really how these companies view it is, okay, we're going to have to pay X amount of millions of dollars this year. But over the life of that contract, you know, even after the guy retires, there's still some brand equity attached to that. Um, yeah, there, there's some, there's a lot, there's value there. I'm not going to say that, you know, that there's no value in sponsoring these guys, um, but it plays out over a very long period of time. And if you're a company like Panini that is relying on this really to make payroll or to, you know, really support your business year after year, it, you know, any hiccup, any kind of hiccup, uh, you know, we've seen can really, really disrupt or, or, you know, the, the offerings that we see as collectors. So, you know, like everybody else, 
I'm hoping this the situation we're in now resolves itself as quickly as possible because if it doesn't, then I think we're going to see a rapid, rapid um, changes in the sports card world, um, especially, for sure. Yeah, I know um, I'm not sure how it is on your side of the country, but on the East Coast uh, in the South, you know, I'm hearing rumbles of, okay, we're going to get ready to try to lift some of this. Um, but I think you're correct. Um, the sooner that we get this lifted and we get back to normal, it's going to be good. There's still going to be effects, I think, to your point, six months, a year down the line. Uh, the longer it goes on, I think, you know, the worse it, worse it gets. So how How is it on you, in California? In California, it is um, – gosh, I don't want to get too political right now, but uh, I will just say that you don't – Californians, you don't have to tell us twice not to go to work and not do anything. People were very <laughs> obedient out here, and, um, and I think we have a governor that likes that control. And for better or for worse, it might be, you know, I also am of the belief that it has been around way longer. The virus I'm talking about has been around a way longer than people think. Um, So, you know, we'll see. I think California will be, will be later, will be later rather than sooner. I've seen some other governors in, in, in smaller states and, and maybe a little bit more conservative states. Um, already talk about movies, uh, not movie theaters, but gyms and, and bowling alleys and things like that being open. I think, you know, for me out here in California, I think it's, it's a ways away um, from, from that. We're, allow- we're all, the, the craziest thing is we're all allowed to go to the grocery store and all kind of meet there. Everybody in the community gets to go to the grocery store, but I can't go out hunting. I can't go to the golf course. I can't, you know, it's just... I don't know. It seems kind of odd to me, but, um, uh, you know, I think parts of the country will, will get online uh, much sooner than, than out here in California, and certainly New York, but maybe in New Jersey and places like that, but probably for good reason there. Out here in California, you know, we have, I think, 20 million people or maybe more than that, um, and I think I saw at the last count 20,000 people have gotten this disease, and obviously I feel bad for those people. But we're talking about, you know, millions and millions of people out here. Uh, So at some point, we need to get back to work. But uh, I don't think the governor and the people of this state are going to, you know, we're not going to be out protesting. I think there are some protests, but they're going to be they're going to be very minor out here. People are going to obediently obey whatever Governor Newsom tells them uh, for better or for worse. Um, and hey, that's, that's the way it is, uh, out here, but, uh, you know, I could move, I guess I could move to another state, but, uh, for now, for now, I've got to live with it, I guess. Yeah. Well, here in the South, we haven't really had any protests right now. I think everybody's being very obedient as well. Uh, I think you, what you kind of say, you, you know, the number of people infected as to the total population, which I, you know, thank God it, it's such a small percentage um, I mean, you don't want to lose any life, but um, when you look at some of the other countries in Europe where they're running 10%, um, it, it's just the uh, heart goes out to everybody. Uh, it, it's such mass, um, it just it, it, nothing we've ever seen in our lifetime or 
I guess it may be 100 years ago, but it's incredible. No, and I've never seen it, and I just think um, – I, I still think we're in the early innings of the impact it's going to have economically because, like you said, it is a global situation, and the entire globe is going to be in a recessionary environment uh, indefinitely. Right now, it's, it's an in, for an indefinite period of time. And, I, you know, I saw people spending their uh, stimulus check, and I was thinking – uh, I'm going to hold on to this money like it's, uh, you know, my first girlfriend or something because <laughs> this is, this, you know, I don't know what, you know, and I've got two kids. And, and so I think if I was a single guy, I'd be like, whatever. But, um, you know, I was thinking, God, this might be the last uh, 2900 bucks I see uh, in a while. So I'm going to hold on to this as tightly as I can. But, um, you know, I don't, you know, if somebody wants to go blow it on something that's, that's by all means, go have fun and do it. But uh, it's probably better for the economy that you do. But for me, I, you know, I don't know if I'm if it's negative or just cautious. But I still feel like, man, we are still in the early innings of the impact this is going to have uh, uh, from an economics perspective. But hopefully, I'm wrong. Hopefully, I'm wrong about that. Things bounce back. Thing I, I saw um, related to NASCAR. I saw that the Texas governor talked to, I think it's the Texas Motor Speedway, and it sounded like they were going to have a NASCAR event uh, with no fans, but on TV. I don't know where that was in the schedule of NASCAR, but it sounded like, well, maybe maybe within the next uh, short period of time, you'll have a, a NASCAR event running on uh, TV, which I think would be fantastic. I think that would be, that would be great. I think the TV viewership of that i'm sure they get good ratings as it is but i'm sure in a time like this um it would be off the charts probably yeah i don't know if you've um you probably haven't noticed but they have switched over to iRacing um and they've been running a race like what should be on the schedule on sunday and jeff gordon and mike joy have been commentating it um and iRacing is very, very similar to real racing. William Byron, you might know that name, uh, he came up through the ranks. He runs for Rick Hendrick, and uh, he learned through iRacing. So uh, it's very real. Uh, they map the track, all the bumps, everything. Uh, so they've been doing that the last couple of weeks. And, um, again, it's, you know, no substitute, but – I'd watch the race and sometimes I forget how I was watching the video game. Uh, and it was really cool because if they destroy the car, they get one reset so they can come into the pit and get kind of a whole brand new car. So that was pretty cool. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. Uh, so uh, they've been running that the last couple of weeks, but yeah. And I think they were talking about Charlotte here uh, in Charlotte running the Coke, I guess 600 without any fans. And I think that's Memorial day weekend. So, uh, we'll see uh, how that how that works. So, and I mean, you got to take the first. I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, "Oh, you you got to wait for this. You got to wait for that." And it's like we've never done this before. So you got to, you know, you got to, you know, you're going to do things. You got to do things and then evaluate. Um, it, you know, if, if if somebody wants to stay home, you can stay home. If somebody wants to quit their job and stay home and not do anything, that's fine. Uh, there's no, there shouldn't be any penalty for that. But, you know, life does have to get going, and that involves 
you know, things like racing and, and getting that on TV and, and eventually maybe getting some fans out there and doing that, doing that. And I think that would be, I think that would be a net positive, um, you know, certainly from a, just an experimental perspective, you know, running a race and seeing what happens. And if it goes well, then guess what? You can come back next Sunday and run another race and just keep it going, and eventually um, things will get to the point where um, things will maybe get to a new normal, and then eventually the treatments and things like that will get us back to, you know, cheersing Budweiser's and, and, you know, high-fiving and stuff on the infield of a track or something like that. I think we'll eventually get back to that point. Um, when that is, I don't know. But uh, I think people will definitely appreciate it as much or more when that time comes again. Um, so that's, I'm definitely, definitely looking forward to that for sure. Colin, I have one more question for you. And I appreciate you uh, spending so much time with us today. My pleasure. On redemptions, do you think the manufacturer should release a checklist of redemptions so that the consumer knows beforehand in the product? Or do you think that's too much to ask for them? I don't think that's too much at all to ask for them. I, I think they should, I think they should have really, like, it, to me, it's amazing that these companies, like, to me, it's amazing that, like, Sports Card Radio was once known for the site that had a bunch of this information on there. Um, and it was primarily because Tops and Panini and, and Upper Deck were terrible at putting this information on their website. And they have, they have people that work for them that are highly capable, uh, probably even more capable than my brother and I would literally sit around in our apartment and put this stuff up. Um, so these guys that they have actually paid workers and employees that actually are closer and more involved in the making of the cards could definitely put this up and could have a database with it, could have a mobile app with it, could have uh, you know, be putting out information week after week after week. They could be going to blowout cards and posting on the forums. They could have, you know, now you could have a Facebook group devoted to this kind of stuff. And to be, to just, you know, I think, you know, almost advertise it more. And I'm talking about the redemption card specifically. They could advertise it. Hey, here's who's a redemption card. Here's the time frame we're looking at. I mean, every card has like this generic four to eight weeks or whatever time frame. I think they could be even more transparent than that. If they know that a certain athlete will sign it in four to, four to eight weeks, they could put that. But if they know if it's, you know, another athlete that takes way longer or only signs once a year, be transparent about that. You know, be like, hey, this guy only signs once a year in Charlotte at the airport and we'll be sure to try to get that, you know, this year in June or whatever. Like, be transparent about that. There's always this, like, mystery. They know. That's the thing. Is like they know. They know what redemptions are in the product. They know the time frame in which they might or might not get them back. Like, they should be telling people. They shouldn't let, you know, they shouldn't let speculation run wild. It doesn't. I think in some situations, like, speculation is good in the hobby, but when it comes to, like, redemption and, like, who 
what are the redemptions and when they were likely to be signed, that is not good speculation to have. Um, so to, to like iron that out and create a, little, a lot more transparency around that, I think would be like exponentially better for the collecting experience and the cards and the values and things like that. Um, why they don't do that is I think more like laziness and lack of accountability at these companies than anything. Um, I think they're fully capable of doing it, um, but they don't. So, um, so yes, I think they should have, they should not only be very transparent about it, but I think they can, they could even go the extra mile. Uh, Especially Panini is a, when we're talking about Panini, they have a football license, they have a basketball license, they have a Players Association license with baseball, they have NASCAR, they have, you know, some Disney stuff, and, and they do a lot. Panini is like their whole business is kind of this licensing thing. When we're talking about like Tops and Upper Deck, you know, we're talking about like one major license with these companies um, and maybe a couple smaller ones. Like th- those are the companies I would totally expect this out of, and we just don't get it. Uh, and even to this day, they've gotten a li- now they've gotten a little bit better on the information side, on the checklist and, and some of that stuff. But even then, um, you know, stuff like release dates, they're not even super transparent about. So it's to me, it's just it's a little confusing. Um, and that's also why I don't have a lot of confidence in these companies financially and things like that, because if you were buttoned up all the way financially, you'd have all this, you know, you have all these T's and I's dotted uh, by now, but they, they don't. Um, so it's frustrating, frustrating for anybody listening right now and, and, and collectors like that, um, but it is the world we live in, and it is the world you live in if you only collect new stuff and you collect unopened stuff or you're buying it from a break or buying it online or something. Um, you know, if you're buying single cards and things like that, I think it's more or less something you have to be aware of. And, it, and if you're not buying redemptions and things like that, it doesn't affect you too much. But, you know, if a driver or an athlete comes along and you're very, you know, maybe you saw them in their early days or you're friends with them or they're from your hometown or whatever it is, and you want to be actively out there collecting them, it is frustrating because they might have redemptions and then all of a sudden you fall into that category where you're having to buy this stuff because you have a a keen interest in in that athlete or the driver or whatever. So it's, um, you know, I think (laughs) – I wish I could say there'd be like a way to like pressure the companies into doing it and to like getting better at it. But I just, I almost think it it would take some kind of turnover or, you know, these companies being sold or or something like that to somebody that was a little bit more passionate or a little bit more, um, you know, maybe a better operator or something like that uh, at it. But um, yeah, I think I wish there was more, Wish, wish, wish there was more transparency about it. Do I expect it? Uh, unfortunately, you know, I don't mean to be negative. Uh, hopefully I wasn't too negative today, but I don't, I don't expect it. Um, I would be pleasant, but I would say I'd be very pleasantly surprised if it does, uh, something like that does, does occur in the future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you would think that somebody would, 
um, take that on and, and try to lead by example. And and maybe, you know, we're not in the business of, we don't know, but I was thinking like PressPass, they had great customer service, and I redeemed a redemption that was, oh, I don't know, eight, ten years old, and they had the card. So, um, wow. And it was awesome. But, you know, I guess when you talked about business, there's so many aspects of it, and, and I guess, you know, it's trying to be good at all the pieces, but you would think that maybe some of that would relate to bring in more business, to be more transparent, but uh, maybe it's not. And sometimes I, I look with NASCAR, like Panini has the license for NASCAR, but it doesn't seem like NASCAR helps them out much uh, with advertising and stuff. And, and so Panini has to make the cards and, and for all these things, and then they have to be their own um, work on their own marketing. You know, and I don't know if they put enough resources uh, into that. And I know Tracy does some stuff and, and some of the other folks, um, but, you know, maybe they need more marketing folks and that would help drive more sales or maybe they have more than they can handle right now. I don't know. Well, I think what they could do is outsource. Um, I think they could do a better job of reaching out to the community and maybe supplying some of that information um, to the community and letting the the other blogs and websites and forums out there, you know, um, you know, aggregate that information for them so they could have a list of redemptions. Maybe they, they don't have time to put it on their website. Maybe they don't have time to, to mess with it or really do a whole lot with it. Well, they could matriculate that information to bloggers and website owners and say, hey, here's the list of the redemptions in this product. Here's some other information kind of tied to that. Um, you guys do it do with it what you want. And I think there'd be a, a long line of guys and girls that would be willing to take that information and, you know, disseminate it out to collectors, whether it's on a YouTube video or a website or a podcast or anything like that. So I think there could be closer, um, there could be closer, and I've done stuff in the past with Upper Deck and, and Panini and, and Tops and all the companies, but it always is, it's never, never super consistent, and it's never, um, it seems like it goes on for a little while, maybe a season or two, and then the communication kind of drops off. And I just think that they could, if they don't want to do it themselves, they don't have time for it or whatever, they could outsource that for free. I mean, they literally could get these guys doing it for free um, because there is an incentive to put this on your website, whether you're just trying to get traffic or make money or, or both or whatever, um, or have content to talk about and discuss. I think they could do a better job there, but I think you have a lot of people in this, in this hobby that have been there for a while, like Tracy or Chris, with Upper Deck, there's just been a lot of guys that have just been in the hobby for a long time, and I just think they're maybe complacent is the word, or there's just no, there's just no, re they find no reason to do it. They, you know, they're probably not going to see a big sales bump, or they're not going to see, you know, a certain metric go up, but, you know, that, I think that would help collectors, especially collectors that are listening to a podcast like this, or that are out there really in, you know, in the trenches kind of collecting these cards, 
this is information they want. This is information that they desire and that they that would be very, very, very valuable to them and would help them um, in their collecting, but we just don't we just don't see it. Um, I think they come out with especially Panini, especially that I, I know for a fact the employees there are high very, very overworked. Very, you know, the deadlines are tight. They're probably not staffed up as much as they probably could be. Um, so it's not uh, – I don't want to, you know, sound like I'm just trashing on these guys and, and, and saying they do a bad job, but I think there could be, there could be better, better outreach and stuff like that because there's a, a whole community of, you know, when I started this, there were very few independent websites and, and almost no independent podcasts. Now there's dozens, if not – you know, hundreds of these kind of things, and everybody's got a social media feed and, and things like that, or a YouTube channel that they could they could blast this stuff on. So it it'd be better now more than ever to really take advantage of the community and leverage that. But they just I just don't really see it uh, materializing um, at least on a regular basis. I guess. Yeah, I was going to agree that you know I think. Um, you know they're trying. I because when you were saying, I was thinking that maybe they have so much going on that they can't. Um, they're not staffed to the right levels to um, go above and beyond, or you know their their daily their daily um, responsibilities. You know, so but and I guess you know a company has to take a leap of faith, right, to hire more folks to do social or whatever and does that really show at the bottom line, right? Right. And I think that's ultimately what it is. I mean, that's, that's what they, that's what they, you know, and, and for a good reason, that's what they really care about. But you're probably one of the few NASCAR. I mean, you're, I could almost say with certainty, you're probably the only NASCAR centric podcast. You probably have one of the very few NASCAR centric websites. So you know what they should do? And they should contact you and say, here's some information, here's this stuff, here's this, even if it's just forwarding you uh, information and emails and things like that and just disseminating information to you and allow you to disseminate that out to the people that, that use your website and use your podcast to gather information. Like, to me, that is, like, just basic stuff, but it doesn't – you know, it doesn't, you know, I can understand like baseball cards is so big anyways and football cards and things like that. But some of this niche down stuff, they could definitely like outreach to the, the, you know, there's not that many people that are actually covering it. And even when you talk about baseball cards, I mean, compared to politics or the new iPhone or whatever, it's not that many people that actually cover this stuff. So you could disseminate it and get them really to, um, and I, and, and I have, you know, I've been in this, doing this for a long time, so I have gotten this. It has happened before. I have gotten information from these companies before. I don't really out seek it out now, um, but it just never was consistent enough, and it wasn't, um, you know, it, it didn't seem like something they put a lot of effort into. Like, like you said, probably because it doesn't drive that top line or bottom line number, but I think over a long period of time um, it would, and it would certainly make their jobs a lot easier. But, um, you know, it is, it is uh, 
it is the the industry that we're in, and uh, you know, for for better or for worse, it's you know, it's what we have to deal with, I guess. Yeah, and Panini's been pretty good uh, the last couple of years with giving me some information, but I sure wish you know I was getting forwarded a bunch of the the good stuff on stuff, you know, um, sell sheets and some other stuff for finding out. Like I had the uh, was trying to push to find out. You would have thought I would have been maybe the first source to find out that Chronicles was going to be out this year, but I had read it on, I guess it was GoGTS, but uh, I did find out um, that, you know, they're going to produce Prism this year and then National Treasures. But, yeah, it, I don't know if anybody else is doing the NASCAR. I would, like I said, be blind carbon copy on everything. So Exactly. And it, even if it's just, you know, they send this information to the distributors and stuff like that, well, why don't you copy, you know, yourself on it too? Because, you know, the collectors, the collectors are actually more likely to find it on a source like yours than, and then it's also much more in depth because GTS sells, you know, board games and 5 million other products. Like, you know, a NASCAR set comes across the desk and they're not going to treat it any differently than anything else. Whereas a NAS, something like Prism coming out or, or National Treasures, uh, you know, th- that, that is going to be treated a lot differently uh, in your hands than some other, you know, a distributor that has millions of products that come, come across the desk every, every year. So, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in the future we can always hope and dream uh, for these things. But uh, for now it is, it, it is what it is, it, 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 you know, and it is about the same when I started, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, kind of covering this stuff online, it is about, it's about the same. You, you pretty much find this stuff out on a distributor website and occasionally on a company website, and you kind of are left to disseminate that and make it, you know, make, make it is what it is uh, on your own. And I think that could – I think if that changed – you would get even more people enthusiastic about um, the trading cards, especially like the more niche stuff like kind of NASCAR, maybe some of the other, you know, soccer and things like that. I think you could definitely cultivate a better following in terms of that stuff. Yeah. You know, I um, got into, you know, NASCAR trading cards just because it was a market that there wasn't a lot of information in or, or learning about it and the prices weren't as high and, you know, I always thought that there was a lot of value there, and and if I was going to spend money to collect, you know, it costs less money to get into NASCAR and have a great collection as opposed to, you know, baseball or whatever. And I guess if you collect the older vintage stuff or even the new high-end stuff, you know, there's nothing over, you know, I want to say there's very few over a couple of thousand dollars in, in NASCAR, uh, but in baseball and, and basketball and stuff, there's thousands or tens of thousands of cards that are over that price so oh yeah i mean the third best guy on the team can have a thousand dollar card which is just um you know it's insane but kind of in a good way i guess um but nascar nascar is a little bit different and i might be wrong about this it you know it doesn't seem like that phenom driver you know in basketball and baseball and football there's always like a new phenom every year um and, and maybe sometimes two or three of them Whereas NASCAR, the cadence of, like, a big superstar, uh, it doesn't seem like that happens every year. You know, you don't – and probably for good reason. You don't have a Jeff Gordon appear 
every year in in NASCAR or Dale Earnhardt or you know any of those kind of like big high you know high awareness high you know just world recognized driver every year. Um, whereas you have someone like Zion Williamson at 19 years old becomes one of the more recognizable athletes in the entire world uh, pretty much overnight. And next year it'll probably be another guy. Um, so, you know, I think that, I think that's what does keep NASCAR a little bit more affordable though, too, because you don't have that like big rookie driver every year that has a big, you know, a big card and it's kind of driving up the price on everything. Um, so that could be kind of an advantage to the collectors out there because you can, you, you know, you, you can collect year after year and not be priced out like you can in baseball and football and, and basketball, certainly, um, because there's some, you know, new guy that everybody is, is trying to collect. Yeah. I, you know, with NASCAR, it, the driver's uh, abilities have a lot to do with it, but it's also the team and the pit crew and the crew chief. So right. um, to take somebody like Zion, who is uh, – and even watching the last dance there with Jordan, how he kind of took the team and was able to elevate it, it's harder in NASCAR. And there's a – and we had a, a long period where there weren't any – super great breakout, but there's so many young um, drivers now and talent that it's getting there. But I think really the ace uh, is Haley Deegan. Um, when, if she can make it up to the higher levels, you know, to bring uh, the female fan to the sport and racing is one of the only sports that I know of where a men and women can compete on the same field at the same time. Um, there's no WNBA, you know, NBA and, and um, right. the, the few, uh, women's soccer, men's soccer, um, the women can get out there and kick the guy's butt. So I know the guys don't like it, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's quite a few females that would like to see, see that. So, and the opportunity to see that. Oh, I think, yeah, no, I've only casually followed her. I bought, I actually bought a couple of her cards, um, I probably wouldn't be as aware of her as if it wasn't for me following you on, on Twitter and stuff and seeing you kind of, uh, you know, share information about her. So I was buying her cards it was a couple of weeks ago. There was somebody who had good deals of them. I think I've already sold maybe like one or two of them. But, yeah, I think, you know, Danica Patrick kind of paved the way for that. I don't think she had quite the individual success, but she certainly, from a marketing perspective and an awareness perspective, certainly kind of paved that road. But I think, yeah, like you said, that's the next step is for a female driver to be a competitive, um, maybe not win the cup or anything like that, but like be like the, the you know, be a consistent winner year after year or contender year after year. That would take, uh, that would take I think, the sport to another level. Um, certainly. And certainly when I see NASCAR, I'm, I'm sure the, uh, a, a good portion or the majority of the fans are men, but I do see, uh, you know, I do see plenty of, of women in the crowd as well. It's certainly something that is enjoyed, uh, much like all sports, but, uh, you know, NASCAR, is, it seems like as well, is something that, that is enjoyed by the, the female fan as well, and that I think would bring in uh, an even bigger audience in that respect. Um, so, and I, and I think she's young. I think it takes a while. It seems like 
in NASCAR too, you know, the young, the young guy or girl, you know, like you said, it takes a while to get the pit crew and get the team and the crew chief and, and then the experience. It seems like, you know, on all the tracks that you have to go to, there is a level of experience that you need. You know, it's not like playing football in one stadium and another. It is, you know, it's all more like golf where, you know, different courses provide different challenges. And the longer you get to play on that course or race on that track, the better chances you, you have over a, a period of time. So I think, you know, um, you know we'll, I think that's, that's the other thing that's a little bit different about NASCAR. It is a lot, to, in my opinion, a lot more like golf that, you know, it's rare to see someone like a Tiger Woods or maybe even like a Jeff Gordon that just kind of comes on and then just starts winning and just starts crushing it. Um, so, um, you know, she could definitely be the next in line and she's certainly pretty enough and certainly has kind of a presence about her that would definitely take, you know, her popularity and certainly the sports popularity to a level that it probably hasn't seen, um, in terms of, you know, having a female driver be a contender. I certainly, uh, you know, as just a very casual fan, um, I certainly, if someone like that was contending week after week, I'd certainly be very likely to tune in um, more often than I do. Uh, that's for sure. So um, I think that, to me, if I was like a collector or I was like a fan of NASCAR, I'd be really excited about that. I'm sure there's, you know, like you said, like the old guys or like the, you know, the, you know, some of these guys might might not like that, but I think for the casual fan, it would definitely, you know, and Tiger Woods, when he broke on the golf, people don't really remember it, but yeah, he was not very popular with a lot of people um, because he was fist pumping and he was, you know, doing things nobody had ever seen before. Uh, and it wasn't as well liked and, and beloved as he is now. Um, so, you know, that would be interesting to follow as well to see that progression. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if you know her story now, who her parents are. Uh, her dad is Brian Deacon from the X Games. Um, oh, so yeah, okay. So she's been running rally trucks and stuff. Um, okay. So I, I think she has a good nucleus around her as well as like yeah. a business presence and they're not rushing her up the ranks as you would say to get that experience so everything is pointing to trying to do it right you know Danico moved over and kind of moved up quickly IndyCar and NASCAR is totally different and I right. saw her at a, uh, an event and we had a little Q&A and she was talking about how you know the, the handling and the tires are, you know, wider and the car's wider and is, is more uh, handling as opposed to a NASCAR and uh, kind of rushing her up. She was in good equipment, but I think, you know, she was using racing a, a, to get to the next level, to get to other businesses. While when you talk to Haley or you hear Haley Deegan talk, she wants to be a racer. She, you know, was running rally trucks and stuff like that. She wants to race. She doesn't you know, want to do anything else um, but race. So um, right. I think she has all the right tools. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things that have to come together. You know, I was thinking of, like, football players or baseball players that get um, drafted. 
or they play and they're in the wrong system and they move to another team and then all of a sudden they flourish. Or you take somebody that's really great from one system and move them over to another system and they don't do as good, right? So right. Oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of chemistry and stuff um, we don't see as fans. You know, if you look a little deeper, you, you can. So, But I think she is set up right now. She was with Toyota, but they, um, in this last, I guess it was December, she moved over to Ford. So so I think Ford is maybe back in her. Uh, Toyota's got so many young uh, drivers and stuff coming up that I think it was a smart move. Maybe uh, Ford put some money behind her and get a good equipment, stuff like that. Like I said, you can be a great driver, but if you're a bad equipment, then um, so it's kind of like all those stars have to align. Yes. And I think just being a casual fan of NASCAR, that's like what I've just talking with like guys like you. And I've talked with other people. I've, I have a couple of buddies that are like big, they go race, you know, go karts and stuff on the weekends and stuff. And it's like the equipment, the, the, the sponsor, the, like the money has a big, big impact you know like you've got to have good you got to have a lot a good 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 support system and it's all got to kind of come together you can't necessarily just have this raw raw talent and just go out there and kick ass you know you really have to you know you have to have the whole you have to have the whole package um and yeah she's got time it's a, you know doesn't look very old to me um, so she's got plenty of time, and I did not know that uh, she was uh, in the, the Deegan bloodline there. I definitely remember him and the X Games and things like that. So that definitely having that kind of experience kind of behind him behind her probably would definitely definitely help, um, you know, have perspective on things as well as, you know, as your career is kind of, you know, your career arc or whatever. Yeah, so it's going to be um... – uh, fun to watch, uh, I guess, her career. We'll see how it goes. But well, I, I guess we can leave it there. I apologize for keeping you for so long. Um, but No, I loved it. Uh, I could talk to you for another hour or two. I'm sure our fans have fallen asleep. I know, yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. No, I've enjoyed it. Hey, congratulations on a year doing this. I think it's great. Um, you know, like you said, I've, I've known you. Uh, we've know, I I say I've known you. I've never met you in person. I hope uh, one day can change that. Obviously, you know, if you're ever out here on the West Coast, uh, I would love to meet up with you. And if I ever head out your way, I would definitely be one of the first people I'd let know. Um, so it's been a pleasure following you, and I've, I've enjoyed watching you, uh, you know, get your website going, get your podcast going. And, uh, you know, uh, just if you ever need anything, you know where I'm at. Well, I appreciate it for me and uh, Jason. Thank you very much. For sure. Let Jason know. I appreciate it. It was, it was really good talking with you guys.